I have had the, the leaders um, help me sort of pastor the atmosphere of grace in this, in this room today because I know how topics like this can so easily allow footholds of condemnation or shame. And so I've even been walking around this room um, out loud speaking, no shame in Jesus' name. You know, in the beginning of scripture where God makes the heavens and the earth, he does it by speaking, not by thinking. And sometimes you just need to out loud in your car or at home tell, tell the devil where to go and what to do because God's omniscient, he can hear your thoughts, but hell can't and you have to speak it sometimes. Shame be gone in the name of Jesus. There's one spirit allowed in this room and it's the Holy Spirit, amen? All right, there is an intimate connection between your spiritual health and your physical health. Your body and your spirit are, are essentially married to each other, and for better or for worse, they affect each other. Back in the beginning, when God, by speaking, not by thinking, he made the heavens and the earth. The earth is physical. It's not ethereal. It is earthy and tangible. And then Genesis 2, 7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils, nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. That phrase, living being, comes from the one Hebrew word, nefesh. Here's what nefesh means. Your soul, all of you, spiritual and physical. So is that referring to my spirit or my body? Yes, yeah, you're getting it. Everything that makes you you, your mind, body, and spirit, are all connected and all of them affect each other. This is how Jesus viewed the human being. To Jesus, your body is part of who you are, not a prison in which you are stuck. You know what's crazy is most of us will have more than one car in our lifetime. Right now I'm driving a 2015 dark gray Chevy Cruze. So generic looking, I'm convinced if you Googled car, a picture of my car would show up on Google Images. But I love it, man, it's a beast. There's a, a little bit more than three cylinders under that hood, and uh, it's a lot to handle. I'm thinking about uh, tinting the windows, blacking out the rims, I don't know, we'll see. My plan is just to drive it until one day it decides, I'm done, I can't do it anymore, and just goes to car heaven. But until then, I take care of it. Until then, I keep it clean, and I get oil changes and tune-ups and tire rotations. I'm guessing if you're blessed enough to have a car, you do the same thing. We take care of our cars, but what's crazy is that most of us, we don't take care of our bodies in the same way, even though you only get one body and one brain in this lifetime. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Are you taking care of this temple? Are you giving this body the sleep that it needs? Are you giving this body the food that it needs for fuel? Are you moving this body? Who are you joining your body to? Because for better or for worse, how you treat it directly affects your mind and your spirit. And I'm passionate about this topic because I think the body is the most underpreached about and underutilized tool we have when it comes to walking in the God-given calling on your life. I might not know you, but I do know that you're made to know God, to live on purpose, and go change the world, and I know your calling is spiritually already challenging, but you make it 10 times harder on yourself sometimes just because you don't feel good physically. Like maybe parenting is part of your purpose. 
or owning that company or leading a group, that is already hard. That's already challenging enough spiritually, but it's five times harder just because you're exhausted all the time and you've got no energy to show up for your calling every day because your body's tired because you're giving it unhealthy food all day long and and bad restless sleep all night. I have guys often who come up to me and say, hey, pastor, I feel like I might be called to start a church one day. And I say, that's amazing. We need churches now more than ever. Let's go. And a lot of times they'll ask for, they'll say, give me one practical piece of advice. And I usually tell them something that has something to do with their physical health. And it always throws them at first because they make the mistake of thinking that's somehow not spiritual. Like, do you know the resistance you're gonna face if you step out in faith? Do you know the burden you're gonna carry? It's equal parts blessing, but it's a burden. Do you know the resistance you're gonna face if you step out in faith? I'm like, you better better add some good habits and maybe kick some bad ones. The things you can control, you might wanna think about starting to control them. Maybe some changes to nutrition, maybe some changes to, to fitness. Maybe you need to change or tweak an evening routine so you can get to bed a little bit earlier every night because you're about to have all of hell coming against you. And trust me, you don't also wanna have a tired body that's not ready for it. So goes the body, so goes the mind and the spirit. It is the most underutilized tool we have when it comes to walking in your god given calling. That's why in order to rock your body, everybody, the first thing you need to do is redefine the body. Redefine the body. Because many Christians have the wrong idea about how important their bodies are to God and their faith. When it comes to our physical health, we need to go from seeing our bodies as prisons to redefining them as temples. So Plato was a a brilliant Greek philosopher, lived about 400 years before Jesus, huge influence in that area. Athens was just about 50 miles, I believe, south of Corinth, which is where the church in Corinth is that Paul's writing this letter to. So you're talking a huge influence from Plato. Plato essentially taught that there's two worlds. You've got the spiritual and then you've got the material. He also argued that the spiritual is good and eternal. However, the material is bad, evil, corrupt, and temporary. And he applied this dualistic paradigm to the spirit, your soul, and your body. And he said, your soul is spiritual, therefore it's good and eternal, but your body is physical, therefore it's bad and corrupt and temporary. And the the big takeaway was, so do whatever you want with it. He famously said, your soul is who you really are. However, the body is just the prison of the soul. And that sort of thinking is deeply embedded in Christian culture. John Mark Comer says, much of modern evangelical theology is more influenced by the teachings of Plato than by the story of the Bible. For instance, when we say things like, God saved my soul, I've said that before. So just your soul, not your mind, not your your body. Because I'm reading 1 Corinthians chapter six, verse 14, where Paul says, and God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord, that's Jesus, from the dead. 
So the resurrected Jesus walked his bad self out of his borrowed grave in a resurrected body, recognized by his friends and hung out with 500 eyewitnesses for 40 days. And just like Jesus had a resurrected body, you will too, and so will I. We say things like, heaven's my real home. Is it though? Because go, go, read, go read scripture, read your Bible. According to scripture, this earth refined and made new. Revelation 19 through 20, it speaks of the new heaven and the new earth. God not making all new things, but God making all things new. And then you and me for eternity, not as floating spirits bumping into each other, but as physical bodies. Physical bodies. No more sin, no more insecurity. Imagine just being completely in love with being uniquely yourself, exactly how God made you on a new earth paradise full of purpose and fullness and the presence of God for the rest of forever. Like we need to get out of our heads that the spiritual and the physical cannot be one and the same. We need to redefine the body so you can put the body in its proper place. It's not insignificant. And it's not an idol. It's not my identity. If you think it's insignificant, you won't steward it as this amazing gift God has given you that you show up to your calling with every day. At the same time, if it's an idol, you'll hear this message and you'll somehow hear me say that physical fitness is like the end game of Christianity as opposed to it's, a, it's a, a physical health and stewardship is an important means to a much more grand and important end of following Jesus and stepping into your calling. You need to put it in its right place or else it's gonna lead to confusion or else it's gonna, you're gonna find yourself, I'm stuck. I feel like I, I hope you know, man, how like precious you are to God how he looks at you right now and he sees what David said in Psalm 139, you're knit together in your mother's womb exactly how he wants you, fearfully and wonderfully made. That does not mean that while God was making you, he was scared. It means while he was making you, he was like, I've outdone myself again, man. Like in awe of the crown jewel of his creation. And so everything, we talk about stewarding our physical bodies, it's not to earn, it's not to prove something, it's not for identity's sake, it's from our salvation. Not because I have to, I've been given something to steward and I'm trying to wring out all the, all the vitality of this one life that I'm given and everything that God has for me. I'm not, I'm not trying to let my physical health or lack thereof be the reason I miss out on what God is trying to lead me into. Paul says in another scripture, he said, as the days get darker, make the most of every single opportunity that you have to be a light. In other words, every morning you walk out the front door, God is gonna bring opportunities. And I think so many of us just because of, of health are just not ready for opportunities every day. We don't have the energy to see what God is trying to do or where he's trying to lead us need to redefine the body. Plato called it a prison and said, do, do what you want with it because it doesn't matter. 
But Paul called it a temple of the Holy Spirit and said, it's so important more than you know. Here's that same verse in the message. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. This is a higher view of the body than what the world has. In so many ways, the, the, the world sort of sees the body as this vehicle to pleasure as much as possible. But we see the body as a vessel to purpose. Give you one more scripture before we keep going. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Redefine the body. It's not a prison, it's a temple. Amen? The second way to rock your body, everybody, is own it and offer it. Own it and offer it. Just my opinion, I think we need to stop seeing every problem as something spiritual. Did the devil do it? I'm just gonna say it. Did the devil do it or like, did you just do it? You know what I mean? And I'm not trying to give him an out. Satan is a, uh, an evil, insecure, narcissistic zero who is obsessed and hell-bent on destroying your life. I'm not trying to give him out, give him an out, but I am also saying he also happens to be an overused scapegoat that we give way too much credit to. I feel like we make him way too big in our lives sometimes. You know, this is not some divine duel between God and Satan where they're sparring in the celestials and we're just rooting our God on because it's a close match. This is no match. This is not a battle. I feel like we give him way too much credit. So, like, did, was it the devil or were, did you do it because you were just hungry or tired? <laughs> just amen this and smile like I'm not talking about you, like I'm talking about somebody else. I'm, I'm preaching this like I'm not talking about me. Tell him, pastor, you teach him. Was it the devil or were you just hangry or unhealthy or, or lazy or not paying attention? And of course, a lot of stuff is the devil. I'm just saying it just so happens the fastest Christian way to stay stuck where you are for the rest of your life is to blame the devil for everything. It might be the most spiritual thing you can do right now is to change a physical habit about your life. That's why we talk about health in church because in order to war effectively in the supernatural, you need to be taking care of yourself in the natural. Own it, own your body and then offer it to God. 1 Corinthians 6.13, you know the old saying, first you eat to live and then you live to eat. And I know the city I'm in and the year I'm in, but this is the word of God. Well, it may be true that the body is only a temporary thing, but that's no excuse for stuffing your body with food or indulging it with sex. Since the master honors you with a body, honor him with your body. That same author, Paul, says this in Romans 12, one and two. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, someone say mercy. So that's key, in view of God's mercy, in other words, not for salvation, not for love, but from the love that you've already been given. 
and from the salvation that you already have. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. If you've ever wondered what true and proper worship looks like, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is true and proper worship. And then I love the body-mind connection here. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he's connecting offering your body to God with the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Offer your body to God. My mind is telling me no. But my body, my body's telling me yes. And Plato would say, well, then do it. The world would say, well, then do it. Your flesh would say, yes, please, then do it. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Your body will eat itself to death if you let it. It will drink itself to death if you let it. Your body will watch pornography, indulge itself to death if you let it. The flesh is weak and the enemy's sharp and cunning and he shows up into that vicious cycle and infuses your situation with lies from the pit of hell to get you to keep going. It's your body, it's your decision. If you feel it, well, then that's true. Who are you to deny your body? If your body wants it, who are you to say no? Who are you to not be true to what you're feeling? The enemy's smart and evil thrives in confusion when you don't know what, which way's up and which way's down. It's my job to, to stand on this platform with a smile and with as much grace as possible as a pastor and a shepherd inform you that those things are lies from the pit of hell, from a very real enemy who's trying to steal from your life and ultimately destroy your purpose. And that's not condemnation, church. That's good counsel. Conviction is the kindness of God, not something to be afraid of. The pursuit of holiness, not something to roll your eyes at as if it's for God and not him trying to lead you into the fullness of life away from more pain and trauma. And trust me, I'm not one of these preachers up here saying, I can't believe the world's sinning. Guys, if I didn't know Jesus, I would be too. Of course, but I do know him. And I know the calling he has on my life. And if I know my father, then I know my father has good plans for me. So I'm offering my body as a living sacrifice because our bodies are God's before they're ours and our feelings aren't king, Jesus is. It's been said, sin isn't bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad because it can give you temporary pleasure, but it cannot give your soul lasting peace. I know that all too well. It gets you to walk farther and farther and farther until eventually it's, man, how'd I get here? That's what the world is, is offering. And, and at the same time, it's unfortunate because for the past few decades, the church has preached has preached truth without love. And now in response, the world is now preaching love without any truth. 
which really is not love. That's why I think we need more sermons about the good plans our loving God has for us when we offer our bodies to him. I think we need more sermons and discussions and conversations about sex, not as the shadow side of a legalistic and toxic purity culture and all truth with no love, but as a good gift from an even better God who wants the gift of sex to add to your life and build you up rather than steal from you and hurt you or become your identity. He's so good. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Offer your body to God. Step into his will, which by the way is what? Good, pleasing, and perfect. Because the world's patterns are normal. Sleeping around is normal. Pornography is normal. Bad diets are normal. Not exercising is normal. Nonstop scrolling is normal. But anxiety and depression are also normal. Unhappiness, normal. Low-grade anger and rage all the time that only comes out when you're in the car, normal. Feeling sick and tired every day, normal. Two glasses of wine just to fall asleep, normal. You guys, the last thing you wanna be in 2023 is normal. God has so much more for you than normal. Offer your body to him. A living sacrifice, God, you take it. And watch the fullness of life he leads you into, amen? Okay, number three, create healthy habits. And this is the point where we get really practical, and I love practical. How much sleep are you giving your body that is a temple every night? Because people have breakdowns and train wreck their lives, not because they're bad people, but because they're just tired. And especially while, you young, while you're young, we feel like we can get away with all work and no sleep and I'll sleep when I'm dead. But you guys, everything has a reckoning. That's what I'm learning. You reap what you sow. Even when it comes to sleep, this is sleep expert Matt Walker. The best bridge between despair and hope is a good night's sleep. Sleep is the single most effective thing we can do to reset our brain and body health each day. You remember the story of the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament where he has the mountaintop showdown where he calls literal fire down from heaven to consume the sacrifice and prove to an audience of thousands that his God is the real God. And then in one prayer, he ends a drought. In one prayer, it starts raining. And then the very next day, Jezebel finds out about it and threatens him. And this mighty man of God runs and hides and cries. He was tired. And God shows up and Told him to pray, nope. Told him to fast, nope. Said, Elijah, read some scripture, nope. Told him to eat a healthy meal and take a nap. Eat a healthy meal and take a nap. You know how many miracles God does in the Bible while people are napping? Because you're not around to like get in the way (laughs) of him doing what he does best. God made women while man was fast asleep. Take a nap, bro. <laughs> Relax. Rest. When you rest, it's honor. It, it wor- it's worship because it honors the God who's not resting, who, who sometimes does his best while you're asleep. Sometimes I need to fast and pray and let the Holy Spirit wake me up at 2.30 in the morning to worship. For real. Sometimes I just need to break a sweat at the gym and go to bed early. 
I think sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do, the most spiritual thing that you can do this week is the physical thing your body, aka your temple, needs the most. There's so much passion and uh, opinions in the world of nutrition and fitness. If you have a social media account, you know this. Paleo or vegan or keto or Whole30 or vegetarian or the carnivore diet, and I'm not here to plug any of them. I will tell you one thing all of them have in common. More real food and less fake food. More of the stuff that God makes and less of the stuff that factories make that can survive in your pantry for five years. You ever wonder how it can do that? Dr. Mark Hyman says most people don't realize the profound connection between what we eat and our brain function. The body and the mind are a single dynamic bidirectional system. What you do to one has enormous impact on the other. In other words, food is not like medicine. It is medicine. Food is medicine. It can be. I said earlier, I believe your body is the most underutilized tool when it comes to walking in your God-given calling and under-preached about tool. Like usually when, when we preach messages, there's YouTube videos and other sermons I can pull inspiration from. I'm like, I got nothing for this. We'll just see what I say. <laughs> underutilized tool when it comes to walking in your God-given calling. I also believe food and exercise are the most underutilized tool for your mind and your mental health. Because you're in the flesh. You are mind, body, and spirit. All of which affect each other and are connected to each other. Like maybe like all you need is a 20-minute walk every evening after you eat without your phone. Outside, get some vitamin D. The endorphins released in your brain when you exercise and your heart rate goes up is like experts say, it's like miracle growth for the neuroplasticity of your brain that experts are showing that breaking a sweat and getting your heart rate up is kind of like the equivalent of taking a little bit of Prozac and a little bit of Ritalin. Prozac can like boost your mood, Ritalin gives you more focus. And I'm, I am, I'm not a doctor. I would have been if God didn't ruin my plans. <laughs> um, I'm passionate about this. Um, I'm not saying like medications are the wrong answer. Guys, I'm on this journey right now with you. Um, I, all my cards on the table, I believe sometimes, seasonally, God answers prayers through pills. And, and, and at the same time, the, the food you're not willing to eat and the exercise you're not willing to do would do miracles and wonders for your happiness, your mood, your energy, your passion, and the zeal with which you show up to your calling every single day. To walk out your front door and go, God, I wanna be ready for the opportunities you bring my way. I understand anxiety. I've battled it for a decade. I also know I am less anxious the days where I start my day working out which means I see more of what God is up to in my life. Direct correlation. I see more of what God is up to in my life the days when I start the day in the morning working out. 
Like sometimes that's spiritual, sometimes it's genetic, sometimes it's just practical, and anxiety actually makes complete sense. And oftentimes, like I'd be praying, God, take it away, take it. He's like, buddy, it's kind of like you're, you're training for a marathon, but you're shooting yourself in the foot every morning. You're asking me to, to take this away, and yet you won't change anything about your life that's causing it and cultivating this anxiety in the first place. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, of the living God. Your body is the vessel in which your soul shows up to the world as a follower of Jesus who's not just saved, but called. Amen. So create healthy habits. Rock your body, everybody. The last one is this. Knock down the domino. Knock down the domino. Win the day and they'll start to add up. I once heard Levi Lusco say, change happens not by short-term bursts of intensity. In other words, four times in my life, I've done Whole30 in January, and then I've gone back to my normal routine, February through December, and I might as well have never done Whole30. Because short-term bursts of intensity don't lead to the long-term change you're looking for. Rich Wilkerson Jr. once said, habits eat willpower for breakfast. I don't know if that was him or he's probably just quoting somebody. Habits eat willpower for breakfast. You can have a strong will, but it won't be, it won't be enough daily to master the flesh. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. What you need to do is develop physical habits that line up your body with the calling that your mind and your spirit so clearly feel. Win the day they'll start to add up. Did you guys know we have seven natural wonders in our world? There's the seven man-made wonders, there's the seven new wonders, and then there's the seven natural wonders. Let's play a little game. Anybody, if you know one, just yell it out. The Grand Canyon, love it. And I now know fun facts about all of these, so get ready to learn something, whether you want to or not. The Grand Canyon National Park is bigger than the state of Rhode Island, and although... It's home to Gila monster lizards, bighorn sheep, and rattlesnakes. The squirrels bite more tourists than any other animal at Grand Canyon. So be careful. Who knows another one? Just yell it out. Great Barrier Reef. The largest living thing on the planet. You can see it from space. It's the size of 70 million football fields. Also, great snorkeling. I've read. <laughs> Throw out another one. Anybody? Niagara Falls, so close. Victoria Falls, located on the border between Zimbabwe and Zambia, largest waterfall in the world. That bridge, great bungee jumping, not because I read about it, but because I jumped off that bridge with the rubber band strapped to my ankles, don't worry. <laughs> 175 million cubic feet of water pour over that thing every single minute. Okay, that's three. Mount Everest. 29,035 feet high, and by the way, growing a quarter inch every single year, which means now's the easiest time to climb it. <laughs> Just be warned, it'll cost you about $60,000, and it'll take you about two months to do. Mount Everest. So that's four. The, the, uh, the Paracutan Volcano, located in a cornfield in Mexico. And just in case you're anything like me and you watch Dante's Peak too young in life, and you're terrified of volcanoes, in cornfields or you just watch signs at any point in your life, <laughs> fear not, 
because it's been dormant since 1952. The Northern Lights, I wanna see this more than any of the others. Caused by magnetic fields and energized electrons, and I'd explain it to you guys, but it's, it'll be over your head. That's the only reason. I totally know it, you know, but that's just the only reason I'm not gonna go farther. Northern Lights, they're there all the time. You just can't always see them. The Southern Lights as well. We just don't get down there enough. And then one more. Close, the Amazon. It's in South America. It's the harbor of Rio de Janeiro. The deepest natural harbor in the world. Um, it's beautiful because within 500 yards, you have high mountains, you have white sandy beaches, and you have the ocean. And right now it's 79 degrees there, which begs the question, why are any of us here <laughs> when you could be there right now? So there it is, the seven natural wonders of the world. Congratulations, you did it. You're smarter. But did you know there's actually a secret eighth wonder of the world, according to Albert Einstein? And no, it's not Chris Hemsworth. Although, to be fair to Chris, Einstein never saw Avengers Affinity Game, all right? There's a secret eighth wonder of the world. According to Albert Einstein, it is compound interest. Hence, the dominoes on the stage. This is what Einstein said about compound interest. It is the most powerful force in the universe. He who understands it, earns it. He who doesn't, pays it. It's crazy because I have right here a domino and compound interest is so powerful that if you had a succession of 15 of these dominoes and each of them increased by a size factor of 1.5, that's it. The 15th domino would weigh 160 pounds. And if you kept going, the 37th domino would be the height and weight of the Empire State Building. And through a process called compound interest, this little domino could knock down the entire thing. Why is that important? It's important because of something C.S. Lewis said, good and evil both increase at compound interest. For better or for worse, you reap what you sow. That is why the little decisions you and I make every single day are of such infinite importance. So look at this little domino and think little decision. Keep looking at it and think infinite importance. Because here's what we do, here's the game we play. I'm gonna work out three times this week and I want a six pack. <laughs> I had a kale salad yesterday and it was so bad and I wanna be healthy. And I could do this for everything. I wanna, I wanna cultivate a healthy mind. I wanna, I wanna help my anxiety and my depression. I wanna start to live with clarity. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna schedule one counseling session. Huh. I want a thriving, passionate marriage. You know what? I'm gonna plan one date night. I could do this with everything and get every single one of us in the room. I wanna be a generous person. I wanna, I wanna know what God's talking about when he says, try me when it comes to your resources. See that I won't open the floodgates of heaven all, all over your life. I wanna get to the end of my life and have people tell stories about how I was generous and how he, man, he used his resources to build God's kingdom. So I'm gonna give once. Here's what I know. 10 years from now, 
I have this vision and this prayer and this hope and this dream of having a, a thriving, healthy, passionate marriage. That will not happen because of that one date night I planned that one time. It'll happen because of the two dates I planned every month. It'll happen because when I woke up in the morning before checking Instagram, I said good morning to her 3,650 times. And you let small daily decisions do what they do best over time, compound. Because this is not about a moment, it's about a lifestyle. The last thing we need is another sermon firing us up to, to go have a short-term burst of intensity for, for two weeks. I'm, I'm making huge changes. This is about a small daily decision that you can make today and then make tomorrow and then make the next day and then make the next day to let time do what time does best and let those things compound as you go. Win the day, the day will start to add up. It's like stacking sheets of paper. One seems just so insignificant. I believe it was Simon Sinek who said, like, you, you wanna get healthy, you go to the gym and you, you work out for 45 minutes and you come home and look in the mirror and there's nothing different. You go the next day, nothing different. Go the next day, nothing different. But you turn it into a habit and a lifestyle and you give it a month or two months or three months and before you know it, it's like, I don't know when it happened but I think I'm now a healthy person who enjoys exercise, enjoys stewarding my body, enjoys like, I don't know. It's habits eat willpower for breakfast. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I was trying to think, why, does it, why are good decisions so hard to make? Because making good decisions feels like a moment of sacrifice, does it not? And, like, and on the flip side of that same coin, when you make little bad decisions, it feels like life-giving in the moment. But what you reap is like some version of hell on earth. But making small good decisions feels like sacrifice. So like saving money when you wanna spend it feels like a moment of sacrifice. Eating healthy when you don't want to, it feels like a moment of sacrifice. Going for that walk instead of watching Hulu, it feels like a moment of sacrifice. Rehab, for a, it, feels like a, it feels like a month of death, but you ask anybody who used to be an addict about what it leads to. Fasting feels like a day of, of death, of dying to yourself, but leads to more peace and joy for your soul, more intimacy with God, and more answered prayers. Do not underestimate the power of seemingly insignificant, yet infinitely important, small daily decisions. Maybe that's why Jesus said, you'll find your life when you lose yourself through the small decisions you choose to make every single day. God wants to do something amazing in your life. And that's why he created, make no mistake about it, Einstein did not invent this. God did. Einstein just understood it, and now you will too. And God is saying, it's like for me, I've had a journey of healing um, anxiety and also chronic head and neck pain for 12 years. And it's so funny because I was thinking about this story recently. I can't tell you, I think it's somewhere in Mark. I should know this. Um, but Jesus is um, on his way to Jairus' house because Jairus' 12-year-old daughter 
is, is sick and she's dying. And on his way, this is when he's in a, a mob of people in a huge crowd and he feels somebody pull at his robe and he feels healing power go out of him. And he turns around and he says, who was that? And it's this woman who was struggling with bleeding for 12 years and pursuing her miracle for 12 years. So you've got this little girl who was 12 years old and then you've got the woman with the bleeding who had that issue for 12 years. And all of a sudden she's finally healed at the end of a journey. And Jesus gets down on the ground and says, your faith has made you well. And I was thinking, why is it that for some of us, it's, I, I prayed one time and God knocked this down. Because that was true for Jairus's little girl. She died and then Jesus showed up and raised her from the dead in one moment. She didn't have a journey of healing. It was just, it was just Jesus knocked this thing down. And yet for the woman with the bleeding, it was a 12 year journey of praying through and praying every single day, every single day until eventually those prayers did something and resonated in heaven and knocked it down and there was healing in one moment. And you, you look at that and say, man, what, what a great moment. Are you kidding? Like, that was not a moment. That was a journey. I've been praying for miracles like that for chronic pain for like 12 years. And I've had about a thousand people all over the planet pray for healing for me. And I never had the experience where God just knocked this down. But it was through this journey, that's why this is so personal to me and I felt so much conviction for preaching a message about stewarding our bodies as temples, as the, the vessel with which we show up to our callings every single day. Um, because through habits, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm like watching this domino fall down in my life right now. And I'm not about to stop now. And so once again, it's like where God's saying, hey, I could, I could knock that down so easy. But do you have any idea what he's done in my heart through this journey of controlling the things he's given me control over? He's saying, buddy, I've given you, I've given you the means. Your healing is there. And I'm going with you on this journey. So this is not about a moment. This is about a lifestyle. And maybe it's just one small habit. That's the beauty of this. It's one small thing. I bet you right now the Holy Spirit is pastoring you, whispering something to your heart saying, this is what you know. Maybe, maybe it's a, a walk for 15 minutes every evening. Maybe it's getting one extra hour of sleep and changing your, your evening routine to not be on screens after 9 p.m. I don't know. Maybe it's something about nutrition and what you're putting in your body. Maybe it's how, how much you're exercising or not exercising. Whatever it is, you guys don't see like the next decade. Don't see the next 12 years. See today. And today, knock down the domino. And then tomorrow, wake up, and tomorrow, knock down the domino. And the next day, wake up and knock down the domino of that day. Win the days, and they will start to add up. Let time do what time does best, and let God multiply your efforts 30, 60, 100-fold. Let's go. Red Rocks, will you stand? Everybody, rock your body. Will you put that one last slide up, Jax? It should have all four of the, there we go. Nobody's impressed by this other than preachers, but now you'll never forget it. Redefine the body, own it and offer it. Create healthy habits 
knock down the domino. Not for salvation, but from it. It's not insignificant, it's not an idol. It's not insignificant, it's not your identity. But it is part of who you are. It is a temple for the presence of God. So let him pastor you.